Well, the text I chose um, is a familiar one for most of us. Um, it's in the book of John. And just kind of briefly, uh, the reason I chose the book of John was um, I'm personally kind of going through the book of John right now. Uh, I've been going through for about a month and a half with a coworker, and we've kind of been studying through the book of John, and uh, it's been real encouragement for me personally. So I just say I picked John because it's been feeding my soul, and it seemed relative. So I chose to, to look at the book of John this morning. Um, it's in chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 14. And it's a familiar story. Uh, we know the story well. It's Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. Um, and it's been noted, the book of John has been quoted as saying that uh, John's gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim in, and yet shallow enough uh, that an infant will not drown. And we can see that God's word in so many ways is applicable for us in simple ways that we can understand. And yet there's other passages and places where we need to dig in. And God's deep, and we can see that elephant swimming in those deeper ends. And John kind of encompasses all that in his book. Uh, so that's an encouragement for us, I think, as we, we study and, and we dig into God's word. Um, we see that on both sides. Um, and this story, as I said, is, is familiar. Um, but I want to make sure that we don't miss out on the purpose of the book of John. Uh, John wrote this book for a specific purpose. And sometimes the stories in the scripture can kind of have us kind of get off of that and, and miss the main purpose. But John says in uh, chapter 20, verse 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's book was written to point man to Christ, to point man, you and I, to the Messiah, to the Redeemer. That's the purpose of this book. And as you read the stories through it, you can see that coming out. It's all about pointing us back to Christ, back to him, back to who he is. Another theme that comes through, and it's another familiar scripture that most of us know, is John 15, verses 4 through 6. And he says, abide in me as I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So as we just saw it this morning in Sunday school, there is a consequence when we're not abiding in God and following what he tells us. So John is saying, I want you to look to Christ, look to the Messiah, look to the one who was sent. And then on top of that, it's not just enough to look at him and believe. We need to abide in him. We need to be connected to him. And when we do, much fruit, it says, will be bared. And if we don't, there's a consequence. And I don't want to be one of those people who is cut and left and withered and just burnt. So there's a consequence of not abiding. So keep that in mind as, we're, as we, we look at this. And as you even on your own personal time of study, uh, keep in mind that God wants us to know who he is and he wants to stay very connected to him. As we approach chapter four, I thought it would be good, quickly helpful to look at where are we at up to this point? 
And John is just super packed in here. We, we look at chapter 1, and we see the deity of Jesus. We see his role in creation. We see that nothing was made outside of him. He created everything. It was for him, and without him, nothing was made, he tells us. So we see his deity being right in front of us in the first, first sentences of the, of the book. We also see the ministry of John the Baptist. John was the forerunner who went before God, before Jesus in preparing people for baptism. And it was uh, uh, speaking to them about forgiveness in a sense of being cleansed, that they were, they were unclean. They needed to be baptized for, for the uncleansingness that they had. And he was a forerunner for what Christ was going to come and bring the message of hope and true salvation. And we also see in chapter 1 Jesus calling his first disciples. And we see the ministry of him starting in chapter 1. Chapter 2, uh, we, see, we get the account of the first miracle, the first sign. We know the, the story, right, of Jesus turning the water into wine in Cana. And, and we see this start of his ministry, the miraculous that was taking place. Um, we also see his zeal for his father's house. Uh, the account of when he came in and, and overturned the money changers. They had polluted God's temple. They had made his house into something that it was never meant to be. And we see Christ reacting to that. Chapter 3, uh, we read about, remember the story, the interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus, right? Here's a man that came to him at night. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, uh, and, he, and he snuck so he could go talk to Christ in the middle of the evening. And Jesus explains to him about the kingdom, about what it means, how to get into the kingdom. And we see this first uh, reality of what it means to be born again. What does it mean to be born of the spirit, not just born of the flesh? And, and he shares and expands that with this man. And we also see in chapter 3 a shift that took place where John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry was decreasing and Christ's ministry was excelling. And John says that I must decrease and he must increase. The bridegroom has come. The bridegroom is there. And now his ministry has to take precedence over my ministry. So we see that happening in chapter 3 as well. And then that brings us up to chapter 4. And as you read this account, I just was challenged this week um, in preparing that this encounter is a very, very strong, grace-filled evangelistic encounter. We see Jesus reaching out to this woman and expressing so much grace that we should be encouraged and challenged by that. Like, how does that affect our own lives? So as we look at this encounter, we really see the grace of God being poured out in this woman's life. And that's hugely important. Uh, we all need that. And I think it exposes the things that are in our heart and where we're at. And, and we can see God is merciful and graceful and kind and loving. So I'm hoping to bring out three points as we look at the text. Uh, first one, that Christ knows our deepest thirst. Uh, if you're sitting here today or you can say in the past, Christ knows the deepest thirst that you have. Second point is that Christ alone, only him, is the one that quenches that deepest thirst. And thirdly, his quenching water uh, results in a life-giving spring in the believer. Something happens to us when Christ quenches that thirst. And we'll see what he, it happens with this woman as well. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at, you probably, probably turn there. Um, 
starting in verse 1, chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although John himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Before we look at point one about Christ knowing our our deepest uh, thirst, um, how did we get to this point? How did Jesus get to this position, this place of being at this well? Well, we know from chapter 3 uh, that Jesus was in the Judean countryside. He had been there baptizing and ministering, and John had moved north to make room for Christ to come in. And uh, he, a lot was happening. I just imagine what it was like to see if Christ is there doing ministry. His disciples were baptizing, it says. And he knew that there was a a dislike by the Pharisees towards him. We already know when we look back in chapter Matthew chapter 3, we get an account where uh, John the Baptist confronted those leaders, called them a brood of vipers, remember? And then Jesus turning over the tables in the prior chapters, the Pharisees had a very dislike and they had a thing towards him. So Jesus, knowing this, knew that the time was not right yet for a a, a confrontation that was premature. So he decided to move out of that area, and he decided to go back to Galilee. Now, I find it interesting, um, in verse 4, it says that he had uh, to go to Samaria. And a better translation in the original is it was necessary. I find that interesting because he had a sovereign reason to go to Samaria. It wasn't by chance. Uh, he purposely went to this area. Um, in fact, in verse 43 in the chapter, right, or if you read, it says that they stayed two days. So he was there two whole days in this area. It wasn't just a, a quick drive through. We're traveling. I'm getting, getting a quick drink, and we're moving on up to Galilee. That's not how this was. God had a purpose. Jesus knew that, and he went there for a reason. The other thing that's interesting is um, the route. Um, many of you may know this, but it was the shortest route to go from the Judean area up to Galilee. The shortest route was to go right up through and go through Galilee. But the Jews wouldn't go that way because of the fact that they felt like interaction and being around the Samaritans would make them unclean. 
So most Jews would either take the West Coast trip, where you would go and go up around the Mediterranean Sea, or they'd take the East Coast trip and go up and have to cross back over to Jordan to get back to Galilee. Uh, Jesus did not take this route. He went straight through and chose to go right into where crossing Galilee or going crossing Samaria. And interesting enough as well, um, there was a lot of hatred towards these, these people. So if we understand it, back in 720 B.C., the Assyrians came in and they had kind of stripped that area and took all the Jews out and, and made them captive. And a remnant of Jewish peoples were left behind. And of those remnants, they intermarried with pagans and Gentile cultures. And it just their whole lifestyle got mixed up. And the Jews disregarded them. Um, the Samaritans had like the first five books of the Bible. They kind of had their own kind of form of religion, but it was really tainted. And the Jews felt like they were unclean people. If we associated with these people, it would make me unclean. Uh, so they avoided them at all costs. So the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans obviously didn't like the Jews. Uh, in fact, we read in Second uh, Kings of those remnants of people that came back. Uh, later, they actually built their own temple to try to worship. And we know in 112 B.C., the Jews destroyed that temple. So there, there's been this animosity towards these people for hundreds of years. And everyone in the culture at this time knows that. So we need to kind of understand that living in 2020 right now, 2022, we got to put ourselves back a little bit of what it was like there. So here's Jesus. He's traveling. Uh, his disciples know as well because they're Jews as well. And they're thinking, I'm thinking, Okay, we're going to Samaria. Okay, uh, what's the purpose in that? Uh, but he had a purpose in it. Um, you know, it's interesting, too. I think it reminds me a lot of um, our civil rights days. Because uh, when it says they had nothing to do with these people, they wouldn't even drink out of the same utensils. They wouldn't go to a restaurant and get food that was prepared by their hands. And I find it amazing that he sent his disciples to go buy food. And they were going to have to buy food that was prepared by Samaritan hands as well. So I think there's some teachable moments that he was going to have with his own disciples as well. Uh, but it reminds me a lot of our civil rights days and how couldn't drink out of the same water fountains on people. They wouldn't sit in each other on the same bus, uh, wouldn't even cross the same hallway with people. Uh, so many prejudices and so many distrust for people. Um, and Christ wanted to approached this, and he wanted to deal with this. Um, he went to his town called Sychar in Samaria, where, one, we know there was a historical well, and he was there to have a sovereign encounter with a Samaritan woman who was in need of God's grace and salvation, and to a region that needed to know about God's kingdom. They really did. Uh, they did. Who else was going to go? Revelation 5, 9, and Revelation 7, 9 tells us, that Christ ransomed people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, including those people from Samaria. There was a reason that he was going there is because he wanted to bring the revelation of his kingdom and his salvation to these people. So first point, Christ knows our deepest thirst. Uh, verses 6 through 10. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Uh, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to buy food. 
And a Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But he answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This shows both, I think it was mentioned this morning, both Christ's humanity and his deity. Um, this trek that he just had made was probably about 20 miles, and it wasn't like a paved sidewalk going up. It was a rugged journey, a hike to get there. He gets there, and he's weary. It says that he, he was weary from, from the journey. That means, it, in, if you look at it in the, the translation, it means that he was fully sweating. He was exhausted. He was extremely tired. He was ready to be refreshed. Uh, and it was probably, it was noonday, because it says it's the sixth hour, so I'm not sure what time they got up and took off, but they've probably been traveling for six, seven hours, uh, and he's ready for a rest. So he knows what it means, humanity-wise, to, to be physically tired, to be physically in need of a drink. Uh, so we see that part of it. But yet, he tells us that it's beyond just the physical quenching that's important. It's the spiritual quenching that we need to address. That's the thirst that really needs to be addressed. John 2, just a couple of chapters before that, 24 and 25, as he's encountering the Pharisees at the Passover, he says that he knows each soul, thoughts, and heart. It said that he knows what is in man. So we see not only does he know what physically means to be tired and thirsty, but he's also God and creator, as we see in chapter 1, that he knows everything that's in a man's heart. Uh, so that shows that that's why he knows what our deepest thirst is. But I love it because this sparks a conversation. He says, give me a drink. And it sparks a conversation that will really truly reveal her heart. And that's what he's after. He wants to have this conversation with her to bring out really who she is. She knows that the relationship between the Jews and Samaritans, he already knows that, and they're having their dealings with them. And knowing this, he's not threatened in the least. Jesus is not threatened by having this conversation with her. He goes right into it head first. And some things that we know about this lady, about this woman, uh, we learn about a little bit further if you read in, later in chapter 4. Um, but verse 18 tells us that she's not a real moral woman. You know, of us that know the story, she had five husbands, and she was living with a man that was not her husband at this time. So she's not a moral woman. Um, she's probably an outcast. Uh, for her to be there at noontime, in the middle of the day, to draw water was very uncustomary. Uh, most women would come either early in the morning to draw water before the day started or late in the day to draw the water as the men went out and they did the work. So she's coming in midday probably because she doesn't associate well with the other women in the town. And it's a way for her to just kind of sneak in, do what she needs to do, and get out. Um, and it's probably a good half to three-quarters of a mile journey for her from the center of town to get to this well. Um, and the other women probably, of the town probably treat her shamefully. They knew her story. Um, we as people can be guilty of that. Uh, we can know other people's situations and not treat people the way they need to be treated. Um, and there's a fine line about a person that's living and doing things that are against God and then those who really need God's grace. And God, Jesus can show us that. The other thing I find uh, that jumped out is the fact that 
unlike the conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3, um, this woman was not coming to Jesus. She didn't know that he was at the well. She didn't even know who he is. He's, she's not coming asking questions about the kingdom of God and how do I have eternity or how do I get saved or any of these things. She's just coming in, in her normal day and coming to do her normal task. Um, Nicodemus was a learned, religious, mostly moral man, respected, and he was seeking after the kingdom. Uh, this woman was not seeking after the kingdom of God. Um, we don't even know her name. She's not even mentioned, her name's not even mentioned in Scripture. Uh, but we know of who she is, do we not? Uh, her notoriety follows her just because of this encounter. So we see Christ and his response to her is so graceful. Um, and I, when I say that it's graceful, it's because he was willing to break all the social taboos. Um, here he is in broad daylight speaking to an immoral woman in the middle of broad daylight in the center of town. Um, and he's alone because we know that he sent his other disciples, he sent his disciples in to buy food. So he's there by himself with this immoral woman in the middle of the day. Um, rabbis were not permitted to even talk to women. And in fact, uh, most rabbis weren't even allowed to talk to a member of their own household, a woman of their own household uh, in broad daylight. And here he is speaking with this woman at this well. Um, and then what does he tell her? He says to her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Um, in one sentence, I mean, this is just how Jesus is. In one statement, he completely changed what she's thinking about. Uh, I believe she did, he, he completely changed the trajectory of this, of this, 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 this conversation and what was happening. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Um, he offered her eternal life. Uh, he didn't condemn her. And it's amazing because he knew her whole story before even saying anything. God tells us later in the chapter about her story, but Jesus already knew it because he knows everything that's in a man. So as he's encountering her, he's extending grace to her. He's saying, if you knew who was offering you this gift and who I am, uh, you would ask for it. So he responds in a way that's incredibly graceful, incredibly loving. Second point, Christ alone quenches our deepest thirst. If you look at verse 11, you see her response. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. She's still not getting it. Like, he's starting her thought presses, is something's happening, but she's still stuck on the natural. Do you see that? Um, how are you getting this water? Don't you know this well is deep? It's like 100 feet deep. You got nothing to draw water with. Um, don't you know that this well was given to us by 
our father Jacob, uh, she's still seeing everything in the natural, in the physical. Um, and we also see that she's still connecting herself as a true Jew because she connects herself to Jacob. And she still thinks there's something she can kind of bank on. Um, I don't know. Commentators or scholars are back and forth. Was there some sarcasm in her voice as well? Um, we don't know for sure. Uh, it could be. She kind of could have been like, how are you getting this water? You ain't got nothing to draw it with. What do you think? You're better than Jacob? Uh, I mean, I don't know. She could have had a little bit of edge about her. It's possible. Uh, we don't know. Um, but the thing we do know is her eyes were still not looking at the right thing. Uh, she was looking at her exterior behavior. She was looking at the things that, are, that she can see and not looking at the things that Christ wants to reveal totally to her. Um, and he affirms with her uh, that the water that she needs is not the water that she's talking about. Um, I think for any of us who, before we come to Christ, Christ is the one that reveals our brokenness, our sin, the deep depravity that we have, all those things that we talk about. But it's him is the one that reveals that. And I, I reflect back on, on my own life when that took place. And God does an amazing thing when he reveals your need for him and really what that thirst really is and that only he can quench it. See, the things of man will only leave us longing and still thirsting. This well was made by human hands, right? She's kind of putting stock in it. It's going to leave her thirsty. Uh, she's got somewhat of a polluted religion, thinks if she works through those things, it will make a difference, but it's going to leave her still thirsty. Um, trying to find comfort and love in another husband. I tried five. I'm going to try another one. Uh, it's only going to leave her thirsty, still thirsty. Um, and even as times we compare God to great men that have lived before us, well, this was Jacob, and this would have been Abraham's grandson, and we got something that we can hold on to. It's only going to leave you still thirsty. Uh, it's not going to quench only what Christ can do. It's him alone. Jeremiah 2, 13 is a, um, is a warning. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Um, there's any, if you are God's elect and chosen by him, you can continue to forsake him. He's the fountain of all living things, and you can build your own cisterns that hold no water, it tells us, but it's a called an evil, and God will deal with that, and he will, his ultimate plan is to get your heart. He wants your soul. He wants to reveal who he is. Psalm 36.9 says, For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. So he not only quenches our thirst as the fountain of life, but he brings light to our blindness. He brings light to the darkness that is over us. Isaiah 55 once says, it's an invitation. Come, everyone who is thirsty. I love that. Like, it's not just about who it is or specific people. It says, anyone who's thirsty, it's a free invitation to come. 
Psalm 107, 9 says that he satisfies the longing soul. Nothing else does. Man, it's so good and we can walk and we sing about it and we talk about it, but it's Christ alone that quenches our longing souls. Man, it's so good for us to know that and live that way. So what's that mean? So we see the woman, she, had, she knows that Christ knows her deepest need. He tells her it's only me that can quench it. And the result of that is that quenching water will result in a life-giving spring in the believer. The second part of verse 14, he says, But whoever drinks of that water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So his, his water will, will pour out in salvation. It will pour out in a well that will overflow. And to answer her question, yeah, he is greater than Jacob. So we sit here today and say, is God greater than this or greater than that or greater? Whatever you listed off, it doesn't really matter. And the answer is still going to come back to yes, he is. He is greater in all those things that we can think that we can write down and question whether he's greater or not. The offer is more than just physical spring water. He was offering her full salvation, true salvation from her weariness, from her brokenness, from her depravity, from her sin. So what do we see about this water? Well, verse 10 says it's a gift of God. It's God who's the good giver of all things. So he, he says it's a gift. Second thing he says in verse 10, it's living, it's active, it's alive. We were just talking about this, that this morning a little bit, Hebrews 4, that the word of God is alive and active. And it pierces our marrow and our soul. So it's alive and living. And verse 14 says that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. It's always there to satisfy you when your longing soul is thirsty. If you're dry today, it's there. And that's a good thing for us to remember, that it will quench our deepest thirst. The waters will become a well of water to eternal life. This is not because one drink is enough. No, it's because one true drink produces a soul, a, a, it produces a well of eternal drinks. It's there constantly. It never ends. It doesn't cease. And lastly, this water gives us our eternal life. It gives salvation to the sinful, needy soul. Uh, and let's not miss the fact, as I said earlier, what is this passage pointing to? The purpose of John's book. It's pointing us to him, pointing us to Christ, pointing us to abide in him, to stay in him. And that's what he's saying to this woman as well. For us as believers today, we live now in a time where we know the story. Christ went on in his ministry. He then was arrested. He was crucified. He was hung on a cross, died, rose again. And for us that live today to have accepted Christ, that believe in, in his work, John 7 just a few chapters past, 37 through 39, say, as Jesus was referring uh, to the Feast of the Tabernacles, 
On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The one thing that we had that this lady did not have is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now. When he was having that conversation, it had not been given out. We, as we come and take that drink and receive Christ, he then gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And it says that he eternally flows out of us. And what a wonderful gift that God has given us, his spirit. Um, it empowers us, it teaches us, encourages us, helps us in all the areas that we need it. So for us as the church today, be encouraged in that today that God's spirit is living inside you. And out of that comes a living water that flows from us. So did this woman change? I don't know. Did a spring well up in her and something did change in her? It did. To read the rest of the chapter, uh, a transformation took place. It says that she goes back after encountering him and he tells her about herself. She goes back to her town and tells all the people. And in fact, this is the first time in verse 26 that Jesus self-proclaims himself as the Messiah. So here's John again pointing us to Christ. He's self-proclaiming, I am the one that you talk about. I am the Messiah. He goes back and tells the people that in her town, and they come out in groves. And it says that many believe because of her testimony, but many more believe because then they had the opportunity to be with Christ himself. Two things I want to say about that is, your testimony is important. My testimony is extremely important. If you're sitting here this morning, you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What you say and how you proclaim your life because of Him makes a big difference in lives. Don't ever underestimate that. And this woman went back and told her testimony. I met a man that told me everything about me because he knows all men. And then through that, this town, these people came, and many came to faith in the Messiah, in the Savior. Psalm 104, verses 10 through 13 says, that you make springs gush forth in the valleys, and they flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field, the wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, your water, you water the mountains, and the earth is satisfied with fruit of your work. This is talking about creation, that God flows and provides all for creation. What about those who bear his image, you and I, so that he cares even more deeply for us? those who bear his image that have been created in his likeness. So if he cares about all the things that we can see around us, let me tell you, he cares even greater ways for you. The thirst that we have is beyond the physical thirst, and that's what he wanted this woman to know. 
I believe this woman was changed. I believe it was a true life change that took place in her. It was through her encounter with Christ. And what happened was this simple, normal day of her going to the well to draw the water out changed her life for all eternity. It changed her life for the rest of her days. She was not the same after this. Isaiah 12, verses 3 and 6, and I think this is a beautiful picture of probably what this woman's life looked like. Verse 3 says, With joy you will draw water from the well of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Israel, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. I think that's what marked her life. I think she went back and said, I have drawn from the well of salvation, and I'm going to make my life be marked by me proclaiming his excellencies and his goodness and his greatness. And I think she praised God for the rest of her life, and it had a major impact. And God tells us that he cares about every person. Those that are marginalized, the orphans, the widows, the least of these. Who could you ask for but a picture of more least than these than a broken Samaritan woman that was an adulteress? And Christ came to her. Beautiful picture of God's pursuit of us. So application-wise, we'll start to wrap things up here. Um, there are some of us who have drank of this water. We could sit here today and say, I have drank from the cup of Christ. I have drank from the well um, of Christ and salvation. And I am thankful for that gift. And I would ask and challenge us, um, how is the spring flowing in your life? Just be honest with you. Um, there's days where my flow is probably not as good as others. Um, but we can ask ourselves that and ask Christ to, to help us. Um, is it impacting your life? Um, is it impacting your marriage and your family? Do your coworkers see and experience the flow and the well of salvation, the well of hope that's in you? Um, is there a joy that flows out of your life um, because of that? Um, some things change when we come to Christ. When, when he is living in us and the Holy Spirit is active and is, and is flowing, my desires change. Um, things that I found are important are spiritual things. Um, I am concerned about God's glory when that flow is happening properly. Um, I'm also concerned about sin in my life. That should be something that marks us, is we should be aware of those sinful times in our lives, and we should be concerned about that. Um, we should have a, a love to guard that um, and to protect ourselves from that. Galatians 5 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Those things should be evident. We just read about first, first Peter this morning, and then Henry gave a reference about the fruits of the Spirit. Like Those things should be evident, active, and flowing out of our lives. That's a healthy place for us to be as those who are pursuing Jesus daily. And moment by moment. And I'd say, are you in a good season? Or maybe you're in a dry season. I don't know. 
I can say the encouraging part is uh, if you're in a dry season, um, just look to Christ. How simple is that? Three little words. Look to Christ. It defines who we are. It really does. The other thing I'll ask and challenge is, are there some areas in your life? Could be. And when I say that, I mean, are there the places you would rather avoid and not go for whatever reasons? See, the Jews, the religious people today, the they would avoid Samaria at all costs. Um, are there places that are your Samaria that God wants you to go? There's a purpose for you to go there. And you kind of will avoid it and take the West Coast trip and avoid it every time. We have been really blessed to be studying what's happening in our world over the last couple months in our Sunday school time. And you look at the critical race theory, the same-sex agenda, uh, the assault on biblical marriages. Um, Brother Mike shared this morning the persecution of the church that's happening globally around the world, false religions, the opposition of God in so many sectors of our world today. It's just prevalent all around us. And I'll ask this, of all those things I just listed, and you guys can add more to it as well, um, do you view that as the enemy? Or do you view that as your mission field? Because Jesus walked straight into the mission field without any hesitation. And he's asked us to do the same thing. And for each one of us, your Samaria looks different than mine. And that's okay. That's why we're the body of Christ. How about any of you today that would say, you know, I never drank that cup. I never took that opportunity. I know God's been speaking to me, but you know what? I just would say I never drank of the the well and, and the water of Christ. Personally, I was like that woman in a lot of ways before I encountered Christ at my own personal well. Uh, I would have been like her, very familiar in lots of different ways. Um, but, you know, Jesus graciously came to me, revealed my deepest need, my deepest thirst. He showed me my sin, what was keeping me from him, and he quenched it. And it was only him. See, it's not the outward behavior that fixes anything. We know that as believers today, right? We can set up ways of doing certain things and change our behavior and try to set regiments or whatever. But we don't do these things because of the one simple reason is we have bad behaviors because we have sin inside us that needs to be fixed and taken care of. And thank the Lord that we have been redeemed and saved, and we have to fight and kill the remnant of that sin, and God let God allow to do that in us each day, daily by daily time. Um, sometimes it's moment by moment. depends on the situation. He offers a free gift, and all we have to do is reach out and take it. It's free. The same way he offered this woman this spiritual gift, it's the same way today. See, he took upon himself 
my sin and your sin and the sin of all those that would be called his uh, to redeem us and justify us, to make us right in his presence. I love Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still yet sinners, while I was still depraved and opposed to God, he died for me. He took God's wrath, his hatred towards my sin and the sin of the world, and he threw it on Christ's back. He was hung up there as a criminal, an outcast, and anything else you want to name, and that's how he was viewed. And he made us justified. So this morning, if you would say, you know what? Yeah, I've never done that, but I'm pondering it. I feel like the Lord is speaking to me. Um, I say take his offer. Because honestly, we don't know what the rest of the day holds. He's a gracious, loving, kind, merciful king. Savior that loves us so much. And if he's speaking to your heart at all today, don't do as the Israelites did, and it's evil to resist the God that provides all things. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we... um, Again, are thankful. We are thankful people today. Uh, We are thankful for the redemption that comes only in Christ. We're thankful for the well of salvation. We're thankful for the mission and that Christ came and walked right into the mission field without hesitation to save all those that were his. And your word tells us that If we are one of his, no one will pluck him from his hand. We are secure in Jesus today. So even in our dry times, even when sin can affect us, even when we struggle from time to time, we can have assurance knowing that you will help us. You will allow us to persevere to the very end. And by your spirit, you'll help us along that journey. What a wonderful picture of this woman as an outcast and a broken, immoral lady that you chose to extend grace and kindness and love to, and you changed her for all eternity. We can rejoice and thank you for that, and we can even apply it to our own lives of of sharing our own testimonies and and going to those people that can be marginalized and and maybe unlovable at times. Uh, You call us to go there. May we be faithful and obedient. And if there's any here this morning, Lord, that you're speaking to their hearts and they've just never have received the the wonderful cup of salvation, I pray they would just reach out and take it today and you would quench their deepest thirsts today, Lord. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for being an incredible Savior an incredible God, there is no one that is your competition today. Enthroned on high, we worship our King Jesus today.